sentire media. Hello you, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 128, Catherine of Siena, God's Teenage Rebel. The year is 1353. Two young children are weaving their way through the crowded streets of the bustling commercial city of Siena, famous like nearby Florence for its textile industry. At a certain point, the sister, a girl of six years old, stops transfixed in the middle of the street, staring up into the sky. Her brother does not realize straight away that she is no longer following him and ends up having to double back and find her. He sees her transfixed as if in a trance. He shakes her to get her to hurry along, which makes her burst into tears. For years she would keep her vision to herself, but she would eventually say that she had had a clear vision of Jesus Christ himself, dressed in red and silver robes, surrounded by saints and popes, who was calling to her. This was her first vision, and it was Jesus calling her to be his and only his. At the age of six, The girl decides that she will be the bride of Christ and no one else for the rest of her life. The little girl in question would become one of the most well-known and documented saints in history and today, along with St. Francis of Assisi, she is one of the two patron saints of Italy, St. Catherine of Siena. We have spoken about her more than once when discussing the war between Florence and the papacy for which she helped broker a peace and regarding Gregory XI's return to Rome from Avignon, which many credited her for helping along. She was not only a religious and spiritual figure, but a very important political figure, intervening on national, international and local levels. She was born in 1347 to a successful cloth dyer, Giacomo Benincasa, and his wife, Lapa. Catherine was child number 24, born a twin alongside her sister Giovanna, who died shortly after. Her mother actually managed to take a break with Catherine and had time to breastfeed the child herself without relying on a wet nurse, something which psychoanalysts make a really big deal out of nowadays, and a theme that would come out often in Catherine's many, many letters. Indeed, one of the reasons we know so much about her are these letters, which were collected after her death in a tome of 1,500 pages. They are written in the language she would have spoken, so they are quite close and accessible to modern Italians. Apart from her vision of Christ, she was already an unusual girl at a very early age. 
showing little interest in playing or doing any of the activities that were considered suitable for girls at the time, such as embroidering. She would stare for hours on end, seemingly, at the wall, while wrapped up in her thoughts and visions. She would follow her mother to church, and was particularly interested in the stories of saints and obsessed by those of demons. She was also interested in the stories of religious hermits, and thought that it could be a good life for her as well. One day, taking nothing but a piece of bread, she left her home and made her way out of Siena, searching for one of the deserts she had heard about from the Bible. Just outside the city walls, she found a situation she was not used to, without buildings or people or animals, and assumed that that was good enough for her own desert. She found a suitable cave and settled down to become a hermit. As night fell, she began to get a bit scared and ended up running all the way back home where her absence in such a large family had not been noticed. She continued in this way, all the while keeping her secret spiritual life hidden, at least the most important part of it, up to her adolescence, starting now to pester her father to have her own little room where she could pray and have time to herself. Her father and the rest of the family were having none of it, and as she was nearing puberty, they started to think about getting her married. Her mother sat her down and told her that she should start taking more care of herself, washing her face more often and looking after her hair. Catherine was not at all interested in all of this and started a period of passive resistance. At this point, the family involved her older sister, Bonaventura, meaning good fortune, who was married with children of her own. Catherine was particularly close to her sister, and the older sibling managed to convince Catherine, and for a time it seemed she was willing to be a part of normal society. This apparent change of heart came to an abrupt end on the 10th of August 1362, when Catherine was 15 years old. This was the date of the death of her beloved older sister, Bonaventura. Catherine was racked with pain and suffering, but most of all, guilt. She felt that the death of her older sister was God's punishment for her straying from the path that had been set out for her. That was when she made her first pact with God. She would take all of the sins of her family on herself. She would punish herself. She would annul herself in God's name and wage war on her own body as long as all of her family were guaranteed a place in heaven, especially Bonaventura. She stopped eating everything except for bread, water and raw vegetables and would pass her meat along to her brother or under the table to the cats. She started to whip herself and to wear uncomfortable chains under her clothes. She became particularly interested in the sorelle mantellate, the mantled sisters, the term deriving from the cloaks that they wore. They were non-ordained laywomen who, rather than shutting themselves up in a convent, lived out in the world actively helping those in need. 
It is at this point that Catherine decided to get rid of her greatest asset on the marriage market, her long and beautiful hair. This was either in imitation of the Mantle sisters or upon the suggestion of a friar, Tommaso della Fossa, who had actually been asked by the family to come in and intervene in the opposite direction and get these strange ideas out of Catherine's head. However, upon meeting and talking to the girl, he had been convinced that there was something different and genuine about her. Her family, especially the men, faced with this young girl's iron will and inflexible determination, decided to humiliate her and to keep her busy with hard housework. Catherine launched herself into this as she saw it as a way of respecting the third of the three important rules of the organisation she wished to join. Indeed, she had obtained chastity and poverty, but she must also be obedient. As time went by and she accepted the situation willingly, the family's hostility started to show its first cracks and turned to doubt. The loving father, as is often the case, was the first to cave in, and he decided to give her the thing she desired most, a room all of her own. He gave her a small, dark and drafty room under the kitchen, which was perfect for her. Now that she felt more freedom to do what she wanted, the war she had declared on her body went up a notch. She would make her way up and down the stairs on her knees, praying to the Virgin with every step she took. She would punish herself with flagellation three times a day. She would sleep on hard wooden planks with rocks as pillows and try to get as little sleep as possible. When her mother, despairing at the state in which her daughter was reducing herself, tried to bring her into her own bed, Catherine would wait for her mother to fall asleep and then sneak out to go back to her cell. In her refusal to eat more than water and raw vegetables, her body reached the point that it could no longer actually keep down other more substantial foods. In the end, her mother also finally gave in and decided to help her daughter enter the order of the Mantled Sisters. However, they were having none of it. It was an order made up of widows and older women and having a young woman wandering around entering people's houses in their names could have meant a source of scandal. Indeed, scandal and gossip would follow Catherine for all of her life. At this point, Catherine fell very ill and came out all over her body and especially on her face with boils and pustules that made her unrecognisable. When her mother requested for the sisters to come and inspect her, they were horrified and decided to take her into the order. Catherine was cured almost immediately afterwards. Word started to get around that there was a young girl who had decided to close herself up, who had perhaps powers of seeing the future and reading minds. She would enter into religious ecstasies in which her body became so rigid that it was said it was easier to break it than to bend it since her life of fasting had already made her very thin. At times when taking communion, 
she would enter into such a state of hysteria that she would scare the other worshippers and would have to be taken out of the church. In March of 1369, she claimed that she had had a vision of Jesus giving her a ring, and that when she came back to herself, she actually felt the ring on her finger, although no one else could see it. In July of the following year, she had perhaps one of her most important and potentially most violent visions, in which she was ascending towards Jesus, and as she did, the demons around her howled in rage and beat her body to try and stop her, but they couldn't. When she reached the Saviour, he ripped her heart out of her chest and placed it on the church. Three days later, she had another vision in which he returned to her with another heart and put it inside her, saying it was the heart of the world. At this point, some of the women around her reported seeing a scar on her chest that had not been there before. In any case, from that day on, Catherine's attitude and feelings changed, and she was filled with a great love for the whole world. She doubled her efforts in taking care of the sick, doing the washing for them and for the widows, and asking for alms for the needy. Although her body was exhausted by the fatigue of fasting, she found the strength to wander around Siena doing this, and at times seemed to find reserves of such superhuman strength that it actually scared those around her. Once she met a young man near the steps of a church who was in need of clothes, so she rushed to her parents' house to steal some and give them to him. She did not see him again after that and was convinced that it had been Jesus himself. From that day on, she refused to wear comfortable or warm clothes and was content with a light tunic. From that day on, her parents also made sure that they locked up their clothes. Catherine continued with her activity, seeing the street and all of the world as her church, and stories of her imposing her hands to heal the sick and relieve pain, and even multiplying flour to make bread, spread among the populace. She began to gain her first followers, and created what was called the family. This may sound a bit ominous, like the whole Charles Manson business, but let's not forget, we're talking six centuries earlier than that. With her following, the criticism and rumours also grew as people refused to believe that she could survive eating hardly anything and they started to whisper that she really ate in secret. In truth, it seemed that Catherine had now reached a point where she could hardly eat anything at all and at the age of 20, it seems, she may have even stopped eating bread. It is also at this point that she started to dictate what would become a flood of letters to religious leaders to get them to reform their corrupt ways and to civil leaders to get them to bring peace among the communities. Her message to them became, You who are sleeping, awake. She asked all to be charitable and to annul themselves in God. 
Her battle with her body, meanwhile, continued with a particularly unpleasant episode. A woman named Andrea was plagued by an open sore on her chest, which was oozing pus and was so malodorous that people could not even go near her. When Catherine went to assist her, she was so overcome by the smell that she vomited. She was enraged by her body's rebellion against her own iron will, as she wished to assist the woman. Meanwhile, the woman herself started to spread rumours about Catherine. The saint returned and next time forced herself to place her head near the wound and breathe in the smell. Then, not content with this, when she cleaned out the wound, she then proceeded to drink the mix of water and pus, saying it was the sweetest drink she had ever tasted. Afterwards, Andrea would ask forgiveness for having spread the rumours about Catherine. Her following grew even more. Her disciples would help her during the day, and after a hard day's work, listen to her talk long into the night. With her oath of chastity, Catherine had refused physical motherhood, but she had gained with her family spiritual motherhood. At the same time for Catherine, this was not enough, and her influence, which was now growing in all of Tuscany, would reach national and then international levels, becoming one of the most well-known and respected figures in all of 14th century Europe. However, considering the toll she was placing on her own body, how long could it last? Thank you very much for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, starting with the second part of the Marguerite Hack and Galileo Galilei level. Kevin, Mark P, Marxist-Leninist Sicilian, Mela, Michus Porchus, Mike M, Neville, Niels, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Roberta D, Rod L, Rodney N, Rudy F, Scott L, Sean M, Shauna S, Shelby, Stephen, Tap Dance Down Under and TO5, and of course, the tippy top supergroup Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Brandon S, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Renat, David, and Oak, and of course, Sen. If you go to our website at ahistoryofitaly.com where you can click through to the support page and become a Patreon supporter or just donate via PayPal. We thank you very much if you decide to do so. You can also look up our timelines and maps and find information that can help you navigate our country's complicated history. Thanks again very much for listening and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? 
At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.